The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, I really have. Because because I've slipped off my loafer and I've placed it between your legs because you're only about three feet away from me on the other side of that desk. Uh, well, that's I'm looking forward to that too. <laughs> our special time afterwards. But what I'm really looking forward to, what I've been looking forward to, is uh, I've watched like my, my guest today is Andrew Zimmern, um, great uh, chef. Though I've never eaten anything you've prepared, I'm just assuming you're a great chef. I've heard friends of yours say you're really good at cooking. <laughs> You look like you I got know a good to, resume on television. It looks great, like, yeah. but on TV, as I know, you know, you shoot the bird. Supposedly, you're the one shooting it, mm-hmm. and then you'll grab it and be like, you know, you'll we'll see you pluck the last feather out. Mm-hmm. Someone else has done the pre-plucking, mm-hmm. and then we'll just see you kind of with a tongue in it as it's finished. Like, oh, this is great the way that we. And then I swallow. That's what. And saying. so the intimation is that I've actually we green screen all that shit in. That's I mean, I, I'm it's I'm not even really there. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, but it seems. But also, uh, a renowned uh, and terrific uh, television host, writer, creator, producer. His bizarre food shows uh, show and its uh, offshoots. I, I will say, I have no matter what. At any time, seven of those things lined up to watch. I'll watch any season. It's mm-hmm. like playing Zimmer and Roulette because <laughs> we can decide is is he wearing a large shirt or an extra large shirt, depending on kind of what. Exactly. What, Ten years ago or today. Yeah. That's exactly you don't know right. what you're going to get. You don't know. You just turn the thing on and you, you don't, don't know. In 2006, I was skinny. I was funnier. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of things. Thank you for the kind words, Brian. You know, it's a mutual admiration society. Right. So now I have to figure out a way to work you in to bizarre foods. Maybe the final episode we ever do, which I want to make it a cannibalism show. Uh, <laughs> we get a bunch of the will you, won't you. Um, and you could be part of our, you know, it's, it's I like could be the meal. It's like, no, no, no. At top chef, you know, they have that thing where during the finals, they have like a pretend little restaurant and the two people who are like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, are, the, are doing a five course meal of your dreams. It's like, yeah. and you can bring in uh, whoever you want as your sous chef and they populate the room in the fake restaurant. Sometimes it's shot in a real restaurant that they rent out oh, for the day. Oh, you're civilians, supposedly. Well, there's some civilians, but everyone there is someone. There's Dana Cowan from Food Wine. There's this person. There's a couple old winners, you know, a couple of fancy pants chefs that came down. You know, every year I get asked to go do it, and I can't because I'm always in where the heck it's Stan making TV, and they operate on a very short leash in terms of timing. They're shooting Charleston right now. But the... <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about my final show is that I've tried to figure out, you know, what would that look like? And I figure if we like serve, like cook the thief, her wife and his his lover, we sort of roll in, you know, some. You could have us all dressed like Rocky Horror characters and it's Eddie. You anything like Eddie. that. Exactly. We will serve, you know, we'll serve someone and we just go around the room. Will you, won't you? And I've killed an hour. It's the easiest pre-pro. That no. I've gone through. Here's here's here, let me comment. Thank you for the rosy introduction. Um, I have spent the last five years trying to remind people that I'm a chef who has operated in his chef career at a pretty high level in some pretty serious places. Um, and it's why I did the All Star Academy. I just right. I wanted for Food Network. I wanted to remind people that I'm not just an eater. I can also cook food, which is a lot of fun. And I want to do more of that kind of stuff in the future because I love cooking and I miss cooking for people. And we have we just launched Passport Hospitality, which is our restaurant group uh, 
about six months ago in Minnesota, and that's going really well. And the canteen. AZ Canteen. We're in 12 stadiums and growing. Uh, that's our concessions business in sports stadia and stuff like that. So I make a great hot dog. But it's funny what you said about the uh, the hunting, the mock hunting sequence. Sometimes in our show, because the network wants it fast-paced, we edit something to the point where I, I send my notes when they go back. Sounds something like, can we please let that breathe a little how about just to the point where people actually believe I'm in West Virginia right, I'm with a rifle there. and I'm actually there? Because the way it goes, it's so fast. We go from me getting out of the truck to me eating the yeah, deer. Yeah, well, it's a shot of the hovercraft uh, right. fan, the we, hovercraft fan, <laughs> and then we see the thing skirting across the water, right. and then there's a bird, and then one shot sound effect, right. and then you sling the gun back over your shoulder right. with the birds already pre-plucked on, on the end of the rifle. And you know the way TV timing is we spent nine hours shooting something that represents four seconds on air and then we spent 10 minutes at the end eating the thing but they use three of those 10 minutes the the it's it's an inverse proportion one of the things i'm proudest of and we actually just had a big argument about this on set in cyprus some of the production local production people were trying to be helpful saying oh we'll just we'll just bring this fish in as if you caught it because it's similar to what you would find. And I said, no, we can't do that. And my whole crew like rolls their eyes and quickly scatters. I mean, it's like walking to a New York city apartment building that hasn't had a human being in it for a year, flicking on the lights and the roaches go. Cause they know the speech that's coming where I say to them, we've never faked anything. This is experiential television. Never will. I mean, the thing I am proud, if you said to me, what's the proudest thing about Bizarre Foods for you from a production as a maker, it's that we've never faked anything. It's clear watching it. I mean, I'm, I'm fucking with you, but it is clear watching no, but see, it. it's not clear watching it. It's clear watch- watching it knowing it's, you. It's clear watching it that you're actually you know. going to shoot the thing that's and you're not you going to lie. But it is clear, I think, that uh, watching it, we know that you're out there doing this because we've seen if at the beginning, if we've watched you from the sure, beginning, sure. as we've seen the show come together, sure. we've seen you willing to go places and do things that other people aren't willing Correct. to do. But I've been on TV for so long, I've weathered four administrations at Travel Channel. And every single one of them wants the show to live in a certain area, to, to be skewed a certain way. Yeah. Now, it's a heritage – program. It's been on a long, you don't want to change something that's working. You know, we're 10 years in and last year I think was our second best ratings year ever. So it's a, it's a rarity amongst television shows and travel channel knows they have a very precious commodity, but some administrations have been like, yeah, let it breathe. Let's not do nine, you know, setups. Let's do four. And then the next one comes in and says, we're going to do 12 setups. We want this thing to be a, no, it a is interesting watching adventure. different seasons run by, but the thing that's constant in it is your sense of curiosity, enthusiasm, and your very tangible desire to communicate an experience to us. Well, that's because I believe, amongst all other things, in the transformative power of travel. When I am at home, I am my own selfish ego-driven. I, I actually become my own, Monster. my old addict self, which really? is, you know, a user of people and a taker of things. You know, forget about the fact that my wife has said, no naked sitting on furniture. Okay, that's a rule that she has for Noah and I. She lives in a house filled with men, male right. dog, male animal, you know, two boys, yeah. you know, and Noah and myself. Put on a pair of sweatpants before you sit yeah, in the bar I mean, lounge. You, you do not, there is no naked sitting around on anything. If I'm alone in the house, in all honesty, I get up out of bed, I brush my teeth, coffee, 
pop on the TV naked on the couch. I mean, naked on the couch was how I spent a lot of years in my life at one point. So I go back to that sort of like caveman version of myself. When I travel, I'm not concerned about me. I'm concerned about you. I ask questions. I'm curious. I'm kinder. I'm more adventurous. I'm actually out there like consciously aware of like wanting to learn. Like you talked about that natural curiosity. Like I'm really fascinated by what's in front of me. Tell me, Brian, everything about that, you know, fermented yak penis. It looks repulsive, but you guys eat it like crazy. It's got to be amazing. Where'd you learn to make it? Tell me all about it. It's gross. It's gross. Um, gross. And so – When you then return home, you bring some of that back with you. And I think travel has a way of changing us in ways that most people pay lip service to. And I've – as someone who spends their life on the road, I've analyzed over the last 10 years and I can cherry pick things in my life that I did not do at once for 40-some-odd years. Then I went somewhere and I learned how to do that. Now that's how I do it all the time. What's an example of that? Um. My respect for sustainability and my own personal level of greening up my home and house. I am the greenest son of a bitch in the whole world. I mean, we're not talking just recycling bins. We're talking, I mean, it's, it's compost and it's recycling. And, you know, I mean, we are because just, you're we're aware no plastics from the in world the of how precious all this stuff is and the fact Correct. that we, that. So I, this is a question I was going to ask you. I'm going well, to talk about it a little bit later, which is... No, did you see the Botswana uh, show with I, the I, Jeune Toisie? I, I'm or was that sure. the one I, mean, I, I promised I literally to send you? hundreds of them. I don't know if you sent me that the, one. I, I went... We, we set these trap snares for these little birds. We hadn't eaten protein because marula no, fruits... No, I have not seen this episode. ...were caught falling from the marula trees. So you eat the marula fruits and nuts and the June bugs, these giant episode, beetles yeah. that come with them. And then that ran out and the Jeune Toisie move on to the next thing that's available, which are these little birds... And they come in because there are certain little nuts and seeds that sprout out of the ground with these little flowers, and the birds fly down into where these patches of them are, very few in the desert. The jeuntoisie set snap snares, and they catch these long-billed uh, birds, and then you roast them whole and eat them. And I'm really excited because I've been eating fucking marula nuts for four days, and I want some animal protein, even though right. Eland and Kudu are wandering through – their boma, their little cluster of grass huts, they're not going to kill them, even though they're the greatest marksmen and trappers and hunters in Africa, because it's not the season to take they kill them. them at another time. That's exactly right. I'm picturing these as like uh, the equivalent of you eating uh, ortolan or something. Correct. Correct. So we, but the bigger. So we go there and they have made, they make their own rope, by the way, and they have no communal possessions. There's a tree in the middle of their little village and all the village's possessions, the tribe's possessions are hanging off the tree or leaning against it. Nobody owns a bow and arrow. There's 20 of them leaning against the tree. Nobody owns rope. When they need to make a rope, the women all go out and gather certain plants. The men and women and children strip them and then they all sit in a circle and make the rope using their toes as guides through which they roll and tie this and they make this super strong rope. Right. And so you as an American, I mean, I just want to go back to what we're talking right. about, which it's is like the strapping. Change. You're watching the, the way in which the whole community is working together. But even more so, we go out, we use this rope, we set these traps, we go back the next day and we have four or five birds in the traps. So what happens when you tie the tree for, at Christmas to the top of the station wagon with twine? You cut the twine. So I pull out my pocket knife, I go to cut it and these people gasp and I stop and I'm like, oh my God. And then I realized the what I was doing. They looked at me, they said, why are you cutting the rope? And I'm like, cause 
in my house, we have five kitchen drawers and there's twine and string. There's stuff everywhere. And then it's like, we, we make the rope, we untie it, we roll it back up, we oil it with animal fat, and then we put it back next to the tree. So, and the rope we can use for years. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And I had two or three moments like that, that literally transformed my view on how precious resources are and the nature of sustainability. So until you have a moment like that, it's just greedy magazine articles or cocktail it doesn't hit conversation. You in the same way. It doesn't hit you I mean, the I same get way. it watching your show very often because it's interesting, right? Not like some special from when we were growing up where someone would show you how impoverished these people are. But <laughs> right. what, what I get when you when one watches your show is that by seeing the joy with which these people can live, mm -hmm. the effort sure. that they put in, sure. the, and not joy like, oh, look at the happy natives. I'm saying they find like a deep meaning in this pursuit of being able to keep themselves and their families alive. Mm -hmm. They relish the food that they're eating in a way that we rarely do in mm -hmm. this country. And even though there are, certainly are people in our country, far, far too many people who are hungry and go hungry. It's not like the cultures that you visit. Mm -hmm. And sitting with you, so when we had dinner two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I had a really heavy thing happen. Because um, we were in a restaurant, a friend of yours uh, is the chef at, your friend Michael White. Mm -hmm. And you and he at the beginning of our dinner started uh, showing each other pictures of places you'd been that mm -hmm. I hadn't been. And it's not that I hadn't been because I haven't had the opportunity. It's because I've chosen not to go. Mm -hmm. I really love this country. Mm -hmm. I love the life that I live. Mm -hmm. It's really comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'll admit, this is an embarrassing thing. Like, I like air conditioning. Yeah. Um, Nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, I like I like air conditioning. I like being able to source every. I live in Manhattan. Yeah. Me too. And I make a television show, so I can pretty much, like, my reach is pretty great here. Mm -hmm. And the way in which I'm able to live mm -hmm. is pretty great. And I can uh, be chair. I can do all sorts of the good stuff oh, yeah. right from the comfort. Right. Sitting naked on my couch. Right. Amy, who's a, a my wife's a novelist, and really loves to travel and has accommodated my desire not to. Like, we mm -hmm. go to Europe sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I came home from that dinner, and I was like, I had this really clear sense of all that I was missing as a human. And I like made the de real decision that when our show goes on hiatus, like, I'm going. I and I'm going to take, I'm going to get your list. You. Yeah. I will promise you, when you, first of all, you'll love it. Second of all, when you come back, you will be happier than you've ever been. And take less of these amazing things that you have for granted, it will change your viewpoint on them for the better. You will enjoy th those comforts and those things more. I remember being in Madagascar and asking a guy who I thought had the one of the hardest lives, not worst, hardest, because I've been around people who are enslaved sure. and who are in the middle of 20 years of civil conflict, you know, in the heart of Africa or who live in favelas in Rio de Janeiro controlled by international narco traffickers. I've mean, been in some pretty terrorist. You go situations. to city of God places. Yeah. Yes. The, but I was on this Island off the coast of Madagascar with a fisherman who had the hardest life of anyone I've ever known. I've never seen anyone with a harder life. And I asked him, are you happy? And he laughed at me. He laughed in my face and he got it. And I mean, when I say get it, I mean every intellectual aspect of it. And he just looked at me and he said, I have every one I love around me, my family, I work when I want to work. I work in nature. I'm, he's a fisherman. 
I only own one pair of clothes and I go naked when they're washing and drying. And I have a little rusty piece of metal that I use as a knife and I spear for fish out of a canoe 20 miles out in the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it's just this crazy, crazy, risky life just to put life's barest essentials in front of his family. And he, you know, he said, yeah, five times a year, our house blows down in a storm and we rebuild it. Um, but I have everything I need and there's nothing that I'm wanting for. And I mean, this is a family that when they wanted to treat us to something, they wanted to thank us for spending the day with them. And the wife, the Sakalava tribes people, she's a very dark skinned black woman with yellow and white face paint. I mean, we're, we're out there and she digs, I think what she's digging is a hole in the ground. I think, oh, she's going to like build a fire sign. And she pulls out a tin that had probably been in there for 12 years and there's this jar and it has these this white powder in it and she dissolves it in water and she hands everyone these gray kind of cups wow. and everyone is kind of looking at it and I give my whole crew the look that's like you drink it or you're walking home. I mean, you know, we got to be good guests here. This woman just gave us her most valuable yeah. possession. Drink it. And as I raise it to my lips, I can faintly smell the aroma of really shitty coffee. And I realize it's like freeze-dried instant coffee that's been sitting there for so long that it's actually gone pale and lost its oomph. And that this is like her secret possession in case the queen ever showed up. She's going to serve. She needs to be prepared as a woman of the world because she's seen pictures and images of it. She wants to be social and she wants to do something nice for us. You can't live through those things and not reconsider happiness, the nature of our place. The eternal question that man has asked since they first started painting on cave walls, which is what is my place in the world and what's my relationship to the world around me? And well, you, purpose will, be, and you will be better off. You will be a better dad, a better husband, a better employer, employee, you will be the best version of you when you come back from that trip. I got that by saying- Plus, I'll put you by, up, I'll get you the connection to the really cushy place I, in the no, Amazon. No, I know, you'll hook me up. So, you, you know, the, right, uh, we don't want to just throw you in all at once. You're going to send me to the fisherman going to catch me the best no, no, no. stuff. I'm not sending you to Madagascar. But, but watching the two of you, you and Michael, talk about it, I did have this sense, and it wasn't like uh, someone you know, talking about some restaurant in America, oh, you have to go. I got this sense that there was a whole life unlived by me. There was a whole way of looking at the world that you can only get by actually Im immersing yourself yeah, in it. And I think it's a true. gift you give everybody with your show. And But in a way- well, not everyone can go. Right. I mean, and that's why that's why I love what Tony does. It's why I love what I do. Um, Tony that's Bourdain. That's about it. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, you're talking about Tony Bourdain. Because yeah. it's the, the going- uh, and and bringing it back. It's and doing the accurate it. portrayal. So many people play into they're either actors or presenters. So they're 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 like they're posing as someone who does this. And a lot of shows on lifestyle networks, all kinds, do that. It's a hired host. They're not into you know, hey, it's it's Bobby Jensen. Welcome to Soup's On, the show all about soup. This guy never ate soup. Before he started the TV show, but he was a good presenter. Yes, he and I'll well. say it's the why when we had dinner, mm -hmm. the one show of yours that I don't think works as well as the others mm -hmm. is the one that's just ending its Agreed. run now because you are not 
I'm the, delicious the, destinations. You're not bringing in, and it was an interesting branding. I know it's an yeah. interesting question because you're not there bringing me the experience. You're not. It's not being filtered through your prism. No, well, and I love it. The, is it is because we don't recommend or mention a oh, place that doesn't. But I know it's we, not full of we shit. We did that. We did that because of fan demand. There are some fans right. who literally are so angry. They're like, "Why is that show even on? I want you in your place because they connect to it the way you do." Fully, we have half as many fans who say, I'm never going to go to Madagascar, but I am going to Indianapolis what should next I do? weekend. What should I do when I'm there? And so that's why we make two shows, one for you and other fans and one for those other people. And now I'm doing another half-hour snackable show. The, the new uh, network management is into half-hour snackable Stuff. So my production company, Intuitive Content, is creating a half-hour snackable program that I'm in. Actually, it's not and just you being there, in it. It's the the because it's part of. I've been thinking a lot about why. Because I have devoted. I'm not just saying the number. You know, I've watched like how many episodes total have you made? Do you think three hundred? So I've unquestionably spent. 170 hours sure. watching you on television. Yes. Right? I was shocked you were able to actually quote shows and name things yeah. I ate. And it's, so I was wondering, like, I've tried to think about what it is, yeah. right? I'm somebody who likes to read. I watch movies. Mm -hmm. I have a pretty involved existence. Yes. Not evolved, involved. So don't tweet at me like I'm saying I'm evolved. I'm not. But, uh, you know, the, the life experiences that you've had, mm -hmm. the fact that you, uh, the thing you alluded to moments ago, the fact that you found yourself at a place, uh, you know, in a spot where you sort of became broken and mm -hmm. had to heal yourself, mm -hmm. the fact that your success came late in life, mm -hmm. all that stuff makes, and the fact that you're a natural born writer, mm -hmm. all that stuff makes your, the, the reactions you have in the moment, because on that other show, you write it and I mm -hmm. know it's your voice, but what we get out of watching you apprehend the things in front of you. Mm -hmm is for a moment we get to be really looking through your eyes. Absolutely. And really feeling what you're feeling. Yeah. And that's your, that is your gift. And that's the thing that- Well, it's because I have good leverage. You know, I, I'm allowed in the field. There's a lot of other people who audition for a show. And when they say to the camera guy, hey, let's, instead of shooting this thing in front of us that we plan on, let's walk down the street and shoot something else. The field producer walks up to them and he says, excuse me, uh, you get a check just like everyone else. Get the get the heck back to your mark and let's shoot the cotton candy Is that machine. real? That's how that goes on real? I don't know reality. On real TV, that's what happens. They, they do not sway or swerve. At a certain point with certain people in certain shows, you have the gravitas. It's, it's, it's your show to begin with. Your name's on it. You okayed all the pre-pro. You selected the city. You selected the stories. You're kind of there in the field. So when I turn to my – and plus you learn to trust your team around yeah. you. I mean I don't ask them to shoot something because you know I, I think it's going to be better. Sometimes I'll turn around and I'll go, oh my gosh, there's a unicorn. Let's go do that story. And everyone else is like, oh my god, there's a unicorn. Of course we're going to ditch what we're doing and, and go do that. So we – we're just highly evolved, you know, after 10 years on the road doing this the same way that, I mean, Tony's basically been making the same show for 11 years, even though it's been on three different networks, you know, Cook's Tour to No Reservations to Parts Unknown. It's still Tony out in the world commenting on things as he sees them, different budgets, different formats. Same thing with all of my shows, whether it's Bizarre Foods America, Bizarre World, Bizarre Foods, yes. you know, all that stuff. His is slightly more AJ Liebling, yours is slightly more Mutual of Omaha, but yeah. yes. Yeah. But yes. I mean, it's just, we, we just, you know, we're pursuing what we like 
when we like it and Animal commenting Kingdom, on it. Mutual of Omaha, because people, I realize Mutual of Omaha is Animal Kingdom. Yes. That was the full I, name of the show. I, I loved, I grew up I, on that show. How could you have not loved it? It's yeah. so obvious that you must have loved Marlon that show. Marlon Perkins <laughs> may have been, I mean, I, he's one of those people I would love to have at a dinner. Whenever he says, who's at your, you know, you have 10 guests at your, you know, fantasy dinner party. Who's one of them? Marlon Perkins is usually on my list when I remember it. Because I, number one, he went all around the world. But number two, like, dude, what, like, what were you doing before? I've never, I should read his bio we both on Wikipedia to. or something. I mean, because I, I know nothing. But like, we'll how did you wind up doing that and then make 700 of these things? And whoever came up, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand safely behind the rock while Jim wrestles the wild alligator to the ground. I mean, there was just that fabulous moment of danger in every show where he just willingly said, I hid behind the tree while Jim went out after the, it just, he had Jim around to handle that stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Great. Really smart, actually. Yeah, he was Fred Flintstone and Jim was Kazoo. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, that's a perfect reference. Um, and uh, so now people who are younger than we are uh, have to look up the Flintstones. That's correct. They have to understand why an insurance company, why we're saying some insurance company guy, Marlon Perkins. Yeah. Greatest bar trivia of all time, by the way, Wilma Flintstone's maiden name. No. Someone Betty Rubble on. is, uh, and Barney Rubble, Fred and Wilma, Bam Bam and Pebbles. I don't have the... Wilma Sandstone Flintstone. And it's only said in one episode when Fred introduces Barney to the, the mother-in-law when she comes to visit. And Barney's like shrinks. He does something really messed up and slinks out of the cave. Yes, Mrs. Sandstone. And it's like it. I just love knowing that Wilma's. I'm sure name, there's a clip of that um, online, too. And we'll find it. So <laughs> this, I, I, there's two things I, I'd wanted to mention. One, mm -hmm. the thing you, you said where um, – that you could have made a choice early on if you didn't want to actually do all this experiential stuff in your show, you could have faked the funk and that the TV business would have allowed you to. Reminds they me encourage this, you to. They encourage you to. Reminds me, I, I talk about this book sometimes, uh, what I talk about when I talk about running by uh, Haruki Murakami. And he describes getting an assignment with a magazine to run the old marathon, the original marathon course from, where is it, from Athens to... Or out, so you start 26 miles out of Athens and you run to Athens. Mm -hmm. And he trains and trains, mm -hmm. and it's the hottest day of the year, and he goes. And they, he has this van, and they're photographing, and he gets out of the van, and he starts running, and then the van pulls up in front of him, and they say, uh, hop in, hop in, and we'll take you to the end. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, 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 the assignment is I got to write it. Because they go, what are you, a schmuck? You're not going to. And he did it. He was like, no, I'm not, I'm doing it. I'm here to do this. I'm going yeah. to. And then he made the whole crew have to wait for him to run this yeah. marathon. But, and, and reading that was shocking to me, but it wouldn't have been to you. Well, what we talked about, there was a moment, we went to film the pilot of Bizarre Foods and I flew into Tokyo. I landed at seven o'clock. I went to the hotel. I'm asleep by 11. I'm up at 7 a.m. And at 8.30, I find myself outside of a, a restaurant, a Getamona restaurant where men drink and eat for sport and close deals. And this is one that's open 24 hours. Are you doing blue, uh, blowfish in that episode? Uh, we did. Yeah, that's what uh, I remember. Yeah. But the we're outside of this place called the Asadachi, which means morning erection. And they are famous for people going there at five, six in the morning, still drunk, still celebrating the deal signing. And they go and they have, this guy has, you know, lizard and, you know, live frog and all this kind of crazy food. And of course we were shooting there and the chef was there and, you know, the, director tells me, you know, okay, we want you to walk down the street, describe where you are, and then enter. And so, you know, in those are the days, this we made that 13 years ago, where you did what that's conventionally called a stand-up, you know. 
Hi, I'm wanting you to describe where sure. you're going into. This is the, called the Asadachi, the morning around, the men drink for sport or, or whatever. Come on in. And you hit, go through the little fabric curtain that's hanging there, and then you get picked up by the camera on the other side. So as I'm walking down the street and I mention this and I get picked up on the other side and we're trying to shoot it kind of as live. So there's a, you know, we had an extra cameraman on the inside. They wanted me to sit down and start talking to the guy right away. And hanging above him are these bags with live animals. And he's a very, very small man. And he's clearly camera shy. And the voice, there's a voice inside my head that is, that is full of fear that I'm not going to be good. Oh, and the show's not going to go anywhere. First day of the show. And this is my big chance, and I'm going to blow it. And all that negative self-talk. And that little voice says, you know what? Make a funny joke at his expense. He's wearing like a towel wrapped around Uh. his head. Oh, look at all those live animals. There are frogs there. Maybe one's going to poop on him. (laughs) I mean, all this like cheap. Yeah, it immediately cut you out of panic, out of fear. Right? Right. That's the place to go. Or the healthy voice, you know, little angel pops on my other shoulder saying, don't do that. If you do that, you'll be trapped in that character forever. And what if it's successful and you have to be that guy and you have to always make those jokes? And who wants – a lot of people are out there making money being the asshole. You know, Why don't you just like be yourself? And that's the scariest thing in the world to anyone on TV because so few of us actually get the chance to be ourselves. And I listened to the voice that said, be yourself. I was myself. And then I got super lucky. People liked me. Very few people get to be themselves and be liked on television. Um, well, Tony I think more is, than Alton just being... Brown is, I am. There's a handful of people. And the rest have to create a character in some sense. What's interesting, though, is that you're sa- what your character is selling, what you are selling, mm-hmm. and it's a bra- it, the choice, which is very risky in, a, in an ironic world. Is because you're selling earnestness and hopefulness. Well, but that's that was the and Trojan a nerdy. Horse. You're selling a sort of nerdy and not geek cool. You're selling a look. I'm gonna nerd out about this stuff. Yes, I'm fascinated. Yes, and I'm gonna risk showing you that I love this. And I actually and that's a care. hard. That's a scary thing. To of course, show. it is. And to sit there and say, you know, I used to be a user of people and taker of things, and now I've learned a different way to live my life, and I actually want to respect people, and I want to contribute to. Uh, the world, not try to take from it. And I went and I pitched a show 13 years ago about preaching patience and tolerance and understanding by exploring culture through food. And everybody laughed me out of their office. And then I put a hook on it that said, okay, I'm going to be eating. The best stories are found at the fringes. I'll eat food at the fringes. And people was were like, Fat white Jewish guy goes around worlds and eats bugs. That's fantastic. We'll take we'll take thirty six hours of that. Right. And I realized that I needed to sell that Trojan horse. And then once I got a little leverage inside the palace gates, the it, I'd be six. But I'd right away when you night. ate that stuff, what was really interesting? Oh, I was still myself. And what what was really interesting and what separated you from? Mm-hmm. I was going to name someone. I'm not going to name. But what separated you from a bunch of the other shows? Is that right from the beginning, that choice you made not to mock that chef, mm-hmm. you carried that through so that when you were eating something, there was no part of you that was sitting in judgment of the people Absolutely. and being like, no part of you took it as a dare. Right. No part of you, it, it, for the viewer, and I'm sure that must have been a choice that you made, mm-hmm. which was, this isn't um, a how much can I eat or how fast can I eat it contest. Correct. I'm not trying to show you this feat of human endurance. I'm eating it because I'm curious. Correct. I'm eating it because I want to, I would say a bigger word, like understand. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to understand you Mm -hmm. by eating what you eat. You got it. And that, now, that was a Trojan horse because 
Although you did, I will say, Andrew, you did talk about that very early on in the run. I meaning did. Meaning you talked about the power of that shared experience. The network, the network was willing to let me have 15 to 20% of intellectual landscape with which to play with. I'm now up to about 60, 40, well, which is a- It feels like it must be your show now, like you're making yeah, the oh, show yeah, you want to yeah, make. Yeah. It, you know, and, and it's, you know, I'd be lying. You know, there's very few things I don't control, although you are making a product for a client and I am making it, you know, not with my own production company. You know, we, we made a show that is airing in August that they sneak peeked in April called Driven by well, I'm gonna Yeah, I want to ask you about that. And I'm, that show is my own production company. And, you know, we, I've wanted to make a show that had no voiceover at all for a long time. I mean, real, I, I hate cliches like verite, but let's just, let's just make a show that's real. I get dropped off at the airport. I travel, you know, I travel, the plane lands, I get out of the plane, I get into a cab, I go eat, I explore the city with that cab driver, and then I get back in the car and I go away. And let's not have voiceover. Let's have the information come out of my voice and the cabbie's voice. Let's have and I thought it treated the viewer as if they were smart because nobody needs us to explain that we're what neighborhood we're in yeah. if we're if they can see it. Nobody gives a shit, right? It's the old TV. You had to uh, hand on the doorknob, turn it. Then you had to see the other side of the door turn. Then someone walk in. Otherwise, how do you know you're really in the room, right? And, you know, we, we sent the first rough cut in of the first episode and the network had a heart attack. The note from the, where's the voiceover? Where's all the information? Where's all the signposting? It's like, uh, we don't believe in it. We want to yeah. make television I mean, the high, for 2018, right. the highest not level execution. If you can remove, I mean, Adam Carolla said this to me the other day that in his, uh, this documentary, mm -hmm. it was like, if, I, if, if I take that out, I have a much better chance. Uh, if I take the voiceover out and let the thing just live, just let it. There's live. a much better chance of it being. It's much harder to sell. Yep, harder at the com baseline commercial level. Correct. But the artistic possibility is so much higher. I made a Dave and I made a documentary on Jimmy Connors and no voiceover, and it was really hard to commit to that. And it, it part of the reason the thing became people loved it. And I know that part of that was all that extra those months extra of work we had to put in to make the story tell without voiceover. Right made such a difference in your emotional engagement with the material. But I You're, modeled my show after those documentaries. After the 30 for 30s yes. that people made, right. Because uh, you did it that way. And by the way, one of my favorites. Oh, um, the one that also had very little voiceover, and, and but, but they still used a little bit, uh, but that I admired tremendously was the one about the Big East Championship in 84. There oh, were yeah. a couple that used extremely minimal Many. signposting, mm -hmm. but- with using graphics, you know, do you know the movie Argo? Yeah, of course. So at the yeah. beginning of Argo, I, I, you know, or, or, you know, plane, middle of Argo, plane lands and it says Tehran. And I, I said to my staff, I said, that's the, we're going to use that kind of imagery. Plane lands. It's a, it's a British Airways plane. We know where you are. And it says London, England. And then we have a, you know, montage of, you know, Big Ben and Buck. Buckingham Palace and, you know, the eye and all this. Other stuff. Everyone knows I'm in London. Network says, we don't know where he is. We're like, are you, are you crazy? We're in London. Then they're like, but we don't know who he is or what he's going to do. And we said, it's Andrew Zimmern. He's been on TV for 10 years. He's in 73 countries. We think when he shows up on camera, gets in the cabin, by the way, first line of episode one is the cab driver says, where to? I say, I'm hungry. Okay, so in where to I'm hungry Four words, we have set up the premise for the show on purpose. We said it that way. And they're like, we don't know why he's there, or what he's going to do. It's like, 
Who cares? Andrew Zimmern is in London and he's in the back of a cab and he just said, I'm hungry. So 15 seconds in, we've, we've set the table for the viewer and locked them in and the network had apoplexy. What do you still get out of arguing with a network? It's my favorite thing because it is like, it is, it is like I have my grandmother back again (laughs) who made no sense. That's what I want to understand. She made television networks to me are, and I love my network partners because they allow me to transmit my message and give me the platform in 73 countries. I challenge them constantly because some of their logic defies logic. It makes no sense to me. And I'm an endless source of irritation to them. I am, I am not, I'm not making soup. I'm not simmering bones. I'm yeast. I want to make bread. I'm an agitator. And I work with a production company on some of my projects that has a corporate policy that says we don't say no to the network. My production company is all about challenging the status quo because it's mine. So it has my personality all all over it. And I believe yes. in asking questions and being an agitator yes. and using the the anarchist's creed, which is if we're going to make a travel food television show, the genre all over again and nothing we were the first one ever how would we remake it and make it better and that's what we came up with for driven by food <laughs> it is it's amazing to me how networks i mean remember everyone is always judged by how they're measured right so new administration comes in they've the travel channels had four or five presidents in seven years the network is struggling for an identity it's small sized compared to its sister networks on uh, this, in the Scripps family, yeah. DIY. Why, why HG, would you even engage, network. though? Why would you even allow? I like I. Yeah. And why would you even? You've proven it. You've proven that you know. What do you get out of engaging? Out of having? In other words, if this production company, like I, a lot of people yeah. in your position, would say to the production company, "Great, we're gonna listen. You guys are lucky. You still get to ride with me. Mm-hmm. You can still ride with me. Mm-hmm. Your voice is no longer welcome. And network, here's your choice." Have Andrew Zimmern do another 10 shows for you mm-hmm. or don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go figure it out in some other way because it was, what, what is stop? Because are you conflating that a with contract behavior or something? A contract? But why does the contract – the contract doesn't make you have to listen to them. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of does. The, the, there's usurious – there's all kinds of contracts out there. And I also believe – and I really do believe this very strongly – making broad-based entertainment is something that I'm good at. Right. And I want to do it in that atmosphere and I want to help try to change them. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you, because where you're going with this is where, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're friends away from this. So you know how I feel about these things. You know, every three years, my contract is up. Yeah. You know, and every three years, I have a different conversation with them about where I want to take things and what I want to do. And you're right. There is a large part of me that is very willing to go on and do lots of other things. And then there's a very large part of me that wants to make such a difference at Travel Channel that 10 years from now, people look back and say, you know something? Andrew Zimmern started making shows through Intuitive for Travel Channel and changed the way the game is played. Oh, it's a great platform. And it's a great challenge, a great platform. And I think there are some like-minded people at Scripps now who really like making television. With the last administration, there were a lot of people making television for whom it was just a job. They didn't enjoy making television and telling stories. I believe in this administration, there's a lot of people who enjoy making television and telling stories. So I'm trying to court them. It's like medieval Italy. 
I've got Medici's, Medici's yeah, I've got, yeah. you know, there's Palace Intrigue, it's, you know. But are, are you aware of the position in which you sit there, which is you're a piece of talent who brings so many eyeballs relative to other yes. shows yes. to their, there's a reason. They yes. don't have 300 hours, they don't have your show on eight times a week. Right. Because you're a pain in the ass to them, or they wish someone else were on in that spot. Correct. And I'm just what I'm sort of wondering about is how you value yourself relative to the way they behind closed doors must value you. In other words, you are you do have, from what I know about show business, which is a lot. You have more leverage than you're acknowledging in a way. I do have a lot of leverage. The to make especially is, creative leverage. The problem is, and I do, and I use I think, a lot of it. The problem is, is in my own personality and my, who I really am, bearing yeah. my soul. And I joke about this, but it's it's not a joke. People think I'm always joking about it. People who do what I do for a living have huge egos and very little self esteem. Right. And you know that's what I'm getting. We at. have I. I I go every year. I mean, it's it's not a secret. You know, I was a homeless junkie and and alcoholic. I stole for a living. I had this horrible, you know, hole. I cratered my life and I crawled out of it. And I'm 24 and a half years sober and things are different for me now. And every year I go away and do these sort of like, you know, intensive emotional sobriety kind of workshops because after you've been sober for a long time and you've if you're a member of a 12-step group, you you keep working and reworking steps. You keep doing things in your own sobriety to keep yourself healthy. But there's always more. So where do you grow? Some people grow in meditation and spirituality. Some people grow in emotional sobriety. You kind of pick something and you try to heal parts of yourself that really take a long time to heal. And I'm just now at 25 years, almost 25 years sober, scratching the surface of the trauma in my childhood and my high school years and how I heal that and make peace with that and get rid of that low self-esteem inside of myself that at some point caves in and causes that kind of thing to happen. Now, the other thing you do, if you're aware of it, because if if you're living a life that's right-sized, you have self-awareness. Yeah. So while I have huge ego and no self-esteem, I am blessed with a little more self-awareness than others. And so I put a good team around me to argue for me and be my proxy advocates for certain parts of my career. And there's a lot of things that I've gained with the network. There are very few fights that I lose simply because eventually we get to that Does place. part of you like to have the resistance so that you have to really figure out what it is that you want? Yes. And I also think from friction comes a better product. So that's, I also, I'm saying that's a and valid I also think philosophy. Out of, out, of yeah. respect, out of respect to them, we may disagree like crazy. They may be doing things that I find are illogical, but they're smart together people who are trying to keep a TV network alive in a day and age where TV networks are going to be start shuttering their doors one after another after the next yes. couple of years because the – the the pay subscription the the internet the the mobile the, I mean all these things are sort of fighting against the family yeah. gathering around a TV set in the living room together the way my family did when I was little and I think working with them and from that friction can come some really cool things I'm I know I'm doing what I'm doing for another year with them uh, we know that. We want well, to when, keep working together. When, when last, we'll see what happens. In when last, last spring, you were at dinner, you had you were about to leave for a meeting with them. Yes, 
And you weren't sure. I was returning home to Minneapolis, and the network bigwigs were all flying out for the Minneapolis upfronts, and I had a big meeting coming up because they didn't know if they were going to air you an eight-episode series. You had shot your eight episodes, yep. and you weren't sure, and this is your production company. Yep. And I remember you saying, they're sneaking it on tonight while we were at Sneak dinner. Sneak peek, yep. And then um, they're going to tell me if they're going to put it on, and yeah. you were... Uh, I thought it was crazy to imagine they wouldn't put it on, and you were unsure. So what happened when you went to this meeting? Well, the reason that I was unsure was that when the when the switch came in, you know, it's kind of like uh, – I'll use the sports analogy. The, uh, right. the college GM sports. Was, yeah. College sports. New coach comes in, brings in new staff. The whole program is turned upside down, and a lot of the scholarship offers that can be rescinded get rescinded because the new coach is going to have a West Coast-style offense and not a Midwest – Run it well, right to the TV. If I can just say, also make it right to the TV business. Part of it is the new administration doesn't get credit correct. for the achievements that the old administration correct. signed. Correct. And that in television, so that's they were the case. and in, and so they were just burning a lot of shows, and they were just tearing stuff up and saying that was what the old people wanted. We don't want that. We don't believe that's going to happen. The new administration came in, selling the board on a whole different vision because the old administration wasn't growing the network. So the, you know, they, they sort of have to do what they said. So they take a match to a whole bunch of shows. Yeah. Um, the old administration had a whole bunch of journal tainment shows, uh, Michael Voltaggio and, uh, Mariana, I'm blanking on her name, former NBC reporter had a show called, uh, breaking borders or, or something where they, they would go to a, a, area of conflict in the world, cook a meal. And, you know, they'd explore the cities, explore the conflict, cook a meal. I mean, it was a, I thought it was a cool show. It was journaltainment, right? The new administration didn't want any of that. New administration wants, you know, snackable half hours, super accessible. You know, they've got their uh, remedy for how to yeah, sure, their get vision eyeballs how they see the market. and grow ad sales yeah. and how they see the market. So the show that we had made that is driven by food was uh, – created while the old administration was in power. It was a very smart, serious look at a city, told through the eyes of a cabbie. What, now, that being said, driven by food. Driven by food. Now, that being said, it still has me in it. It's still funny and lighthearted. I'm not going to change I mean, as I you am. know, it's one of my favorite episodes of uh, Bizarre Foods America is the cabbie episode of Bizarre in, in Foods America, which I imagine was which part is what of the we based it on. This. Yeah. So th the network was sneak peeking it the week beforehand. I personally believe – Knowing that a sneak peek is a sneak peek. No one knows it's on. It's not promoted. All this other kind of stuff. It's not going to do that great. And then that would give them a little leverage, leverage to, in say, to say, you know something? We love it. We paid you for it. We don't know where we're going to, you know, we don't know what we're going to do. For me, I just, I just wanted the world to see this product we made that I was convinced is just a new way of looking at the genre. So we came back and we found out that the number they, we pulled was really good. Now, part of that, they, <laughs> I found out, they didn't the tell me, number, yeah. but they told uh, my PR company and some other folks that they were a little irked because I had called like my friends at websites like Eater and Huffington Post and said, hey, I've got a sneak peek of my show. Would you let people know about it? And of course, these people with whom yeah. I've been working for years and years and years said, absolutely, a new product of yours. That's, that's something cool to let our readers know. And so they did, and the travel channel was like, "Well, that's not really a sneak peek. You sort of, you sort of fudge the rule there." And I'm like, I'm "Well, like, it just you, shows you what's going to happen when the show's on. You really right, promote it. Right. When the show's on, you go on uh, late night shows. Why it's way I different. Than, it? It's yeah. my hour. I want people to see it. And besides, you didn't say you were looking at a number. You said you were looking at the quarter hours, whether people stuck around. It was, and a, they did. 
they did. So they're now airing it in August, which is great. I believe August 21st, the first of eight episodes of Driven by Food will air. And, and that's going to be right thrilled. after the new season of Bizarre Foods, Correct. right? Which, which is starts in June. June 21st. And I, I'm really, really excited about it because I think for fans of Travel Channel and for fans of me, you're going to see a cool, cool travel and food program that's a little bit different than what you're used to when seeing. When you, I just wish there were voiceover. When you walked in, I understand if you had voiceover, I'd understand. It would have better sign. How am I going to know where you are, Andrew? It would have better sign. How am I going to know what you're doing and where you are if someone doesn't tell you me? You want to know? Here's another great note. Here's another great note we got. Um, we're in Hyderabad, which is a divided city. Hyderabad um, and Sekarundabad are sort of side by side, They're twin cities, but um, half the city is Muslim and half the city is Hindu, generically speaking. And um, the, you know, historically, everyone has lived in peace and harmony there for a long time. So we said, okay, this is great. We're going to have a Hindu cab driver and we're going to have a Muslim cab driver. And then we found a 19-year-old Muslim kid who is a history buff who hangs out by the old palace in the old part of town. Yeah. And he has an auto rickshaw and he drives that around and he makes pennies a day in profit because he has to pay for the gas. He has to rent the auto rickshaw. And then he takes that money. He gives it to his dad. And his dad is the muezzin at the local mosque where they live. He's the guy that goes to the tower and calls the believers to prayer uh, five times a day, I think it is. And his father is an extremely devout I mean, extremely devout conservative Muslim. And so the women are fully covered. They don't speak to me. You know, there's a, I mean, it's, it's a very devout and Muslim you are household. a heavy pork-eating Jewish atheist walking into the room. White American guy. And so the climax of the episode is I spend two days with this kid and he's like, come to my house for dinner. And I, so I said, I'm going, I'm going to buy all these gifts for your family. We're going to show up. And by the way, I'm real so jazzed and so curious because I get – in his household, grandma, mom, and his sisters all cook and take care of the house. So to have three generations of a family that had been living, and I believe they came from Iran, came from, even though they were Indian, came from Iran, because that's where dad's work had taken him, and moved to Hyderabad. And to have that sort of hybridity of the Persian and the Indian food. And Hyderabad was run by the Persians at one point. So there's this incredible synchronicity going on and the food I'm going to taste, I know in a home like that is going to just blow my mind. And so we showed up and it was a heavy duty scene. And at one point in the lunch preceding it, as we're getting ready to go there, he starts to get choked up talking about his family and how his father's- The 19 year old starts to get choked up. His family's dad's very hard on him Mm. and he doesn't get to do a lot of things. And I could see him getting, and I'm a dad and I'm also a son. Right. And I knew right away what was conflicting him. And I I just reached out and I grabbed his hand and I said, your dad may not say it a lot, but he loves you. Your father loves you. Fathers love their sons. They just have different ways of showing it. And we, we moved on in the scene and we went back. Well, the network note was that moment's too heavy. And I, and I'm like, I I said to myself, that's probably one of the five greatest things that's ever happened (laughs) to me while cameras are running. It was such a real moment. And I said, also, there's not a human being on earth who could watch our show that doesn't have either a father or a mother or a child and couldn't relate to not – or even even well, if you're talk about born an orphan and are an only child and don't have kids, you have relationships well, with other people how beautiful, but you also, feel the same I mean, way. The other thing, and who knows if this is part of what goes into it with the – I mean – 
what there there couldn't be a better time for you to have that human moment with a muslim right boy a right. muslim young man correct to have this human moment with him correct it, it, this is exactly exactly what's supposed to be your mission correct that's why I'm saying why you why so you, we had why to you argue we had to argue I mean we moments of it are in and we the, the dinner is in and part of that conversation is in but it was making television with but people who did you don't take see pieces it, of it eye out eye. that you didn't want to take out no we trimmed it sometimes we, you trim and it helps but I'm saying no we trimmed it we trimmed it as a we trimmed parts of it as a concession that I could live without as long as other parts were left in. And this is the, you know, people always talk about, I don't want to know how laws or sausages are made. I think that should be amended. You care about them liking you? I but, care about being a good teammate and why? being allowed to, because I want always? to, I want to maintain, thank you, Dr. Koppelman. I want to maintain the relationship and the di diplomatic detente that we have so I can continue to tell the stories that I want because the big picture is more important to me than the little picture. And I know that worse comes to worse. If they don't want to tell those stories You'll tell in them the a different future, way. they'll tell them a different way. And so I can be do able different to tell shows. Different, you'll be able to do. We also, we also make shows, for, you know, the reason I started a production company was because not because I don't love what I'm doing is that I wanted to make shows for PBS and for yeah. HBO okay. well, and for I wanna, ESPN. I want you know. to be clear about one thing, which is I'm not in any way saying you should blow up your situation. Not at I'm all. I'm more saying that you hear stories about Matt Weiner making mm -hmm. Mad Men. I don't know that the executive spoke to him for the last three years of the show. Right. I, I know famously it's been reported that they didn't <laughs> get along. I've spoken right. to him. But Matt Weiner decided like, you know, Okay, the show's they can big cancel enough. my right. If they believe they can cancel my show, let them. And if I'm just thinking, I had 300 hours on Travel Channel. I think yeah. I'd be sitting there now. Like I'm really lucky. Right? I make my show a Showtime, and part of what Dave and I did was we wrote our script for the pilot on spec, mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't. We wouldn't sell it to someone who didn't want to make exactly the show we were making. Mm -hmm. And so the notes calls with them have been, yeah. uh, and I'd say this at dinner privately, yeah. they've been great because they're actually making they're aligned the exact same show that we're making. So if they go, right. we don't think this works. I never hear fear in their voices. Right. I never hear that what they're worried about is some extra creative thing. They're actually going like, did you guys write that moment as well as you could have? Is that performance as good? And it's like a pleasure to have those things. If I, was, if I were in a situation where I, I was getting noted by people and I've had this in my life, if I had the leverage that, that I believe you have, whether, whether you can recognize it or not, I think I would just be like, dude, I'm leaving this show the Do way I want Do you want to know wanted. what happened though? The, the coda to all yeah, this? Yeah, what's the coda? You there, signed for another two. 10 years. Number number one, number one, I love talking about this because I learn so much about myself and about my business sure. talking to someone who's been doing this for a lot longer than I have. Secondly, the coda to this is the last episode. We delivered episode number eight. Where's that set? To them. I think it was Rio. And how will I know that? <laughs> is, there, is someone going to tell me? The last note that we got them, we sent them our rough cut. Yeah. We do an internal rough cut ourselves. And then sure. we send a rough cut. We're required to send a rough cut and a fine yeah. cut to the, to the network. The rough cut came back and our showrunner said, this is amazing. No notes. Ah. Now through that process, I'm probably more proud of the Rio show than any other, not because it got no notes, just like when you're making TV at the beginning, and I'm sure this is the same way when you were making the pilot or the episode one of billions, or some of the other things that you've created have, have had multiple parts. It, after a couple of certain number of episodes, 
you really learn what you're you doing. You find the voice. You find you do. it. It's you, a, yeah, 100%. You, you know what the actors are going to do. You know what scripts work. Maybe you've had some feedback from focus groups. Maybe you're still working on episodes 12, 13, 14, while episodes one, two, three, four are airing, and you can kind of – you really get a sense of how audience is reacting, and you learn it, and then you get your template, and then everything kind of goes for that. We, at like episode four or five, hit our template. It wasn't perfect, and the the network wasn't 100% aligned with it, but by the last episode, we made Rio the way we want to make it. Although it did have too much voiceover uh, for me because I like no voiceover, but the, the network loved it. So I think it's in making the sausage. Once it's on the grill and in the bun and you're eating it, you forget about all the Absolutely. grinding. And I want to make sure that I have – the outlet at Travel Channel to continue to make TV for years and years and years, whether it's my own shows or shows for other people. I struggle personally with when I get up in the day, I don't want to be the doormat. I don't want to be the asshole. I want to be something in the middle, you know, and I want to be an adult in that conversation. I want to speak to people like a 54 year old. I don't want to speak to them like the, the frightened eight year old or the angry 13 year old. And I think as human beings, sometimes we drift into our childlike voices too often. So I, I have to work, I have to work hard at this stuff. I mean, I come from the Island of broken toys being in television. And I know this sounds really, really, really crazy and maybe a little too airy, hippie for too many people, but everything happens for a reason. And I truly believe that I'm in this crazy business for a reason because it allows me this the most spiritual growth for myself of any other business that I could think of right now. Because on one hand, people view me as, oh, well, you're a celebrity, your show's a success, you're in all these countries, you must be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams, and you must get to do everything you want to do. None of those things are true. And the fact of the matter is I do have a boss. I have a client who buys the product and I have a partner in a production company for Bizarre Foods that I have no business relationship with. So you have three people. It's a menage a trois and you're trying to all get along. And so at times it does feel like an episode in season five of Big Love, but at times it feels really, really, really good. Well, it's clear that you have whether uh, I'm not sure I believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do believe that we drive, uh, we find a purpose yeah. and we drive toward that purpose for sure. and, and that purpose and meaning fuel us in a way. And so for yeah. you, you've found tremendous meaning in this pursuit. Yeah. Um, Andrew, there's so many other things I really want to talk about your childhood. We'll do it next time because how a kid from New York City became a fisherman and a hunter. And I know <laughs> no, you no, talk- Go ahead, say it. Jews aren't outdoors people, and they're not alcoholics. Yeah. And I'm and both. I'm both. <laughs> but how you became all that stuff. And I, I do think I did, you know, I think we did talk a bit about what Americans miss out by not seeing the corners of the world that you mm-hmm. have. And I, I do think that, that part of your mission is really great and, and lands. And uh, thanks for having this conversation, folks. You should, you can find Andrew. He's great on Twitter and Instagram. He's constantly showing things that you uh, want to see or eat mm-hmm. uh, under his own name. Sh- uh, well, I'm Instagram. I'm Chef AZ. Twitter, I'm at Andrew Zimmern. But if, I mean, everything is on andrewzimmern.com and links to. So go to andrewzimmern.com, uh, put in your DVR. Including my partially nude pictures of me and spooning with a very, very young Brian Koppelman. 
We are going to put those, we're going to redact that part <laughs> of the website. We're not going to, that's not going to be. All right, uh, find him and uh, watch his new shows, the the two shows, uh, Driven by Food and Bizarre Foods. Bizarre Food yeah. starts June 21st. Yeah, all you got to do is show up. This is the nice thing about being on for a long time and having many shows. Every Tuesday night, there's new Andrew Zimmern material. Whether Starting it's Delicious when? Destinations in perpetuity. Whether it's Delicious Destinations, Driven by Food, or Bizarre Foods, there's a new Andrew Zimmern product on every Tuesday night and then reruns every other day of the week. So do that. <laughs> and uh, Andrew, uh, thanks for doing this. I'll You're talk to you soon. 